Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Gray. You will recognize the voice of my guest today. It is one you have heard many times over the years and is broadcast on over 40 radio stations across the nation. The ever-popular Mr. David Miller of Swinging Down the Lane. Growing up in New Jersey, Mr. Miller listened to the radio station WNEW and their program called Make Believe Ballroom. And that is exactly what young David did. Visualize the likes of Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, and Glenn Miller crooning and playing to the music of the big band era all the while he was doing his homework. It was in 1983 that David began sharing his love and knowledge of his music with his radio audience and birthed his show Swinging Down the Lane. And now it is only natural he has written a book titled Close Encounters because that's what it is, excerpts from interviews with such greats as Linda Ronstadt, Frankie Lane, and Buddy Morrow. In this book, he also recounts the influence this style of music has had on his life and tells how a chance encounter with band leader Skitch Henderson changed his career path forever. It was the 1920s when big bands came into being, and though they once had a decline during the birth of rock, they are back again today, and Mr. Miller has been a stalwart fan dedicated through all the ups and downs to keep this music genre alive and well. It is my pleasure to welcome to the table the big band era, collector, enthusiast, aficionado, and host of his own show, Swinging Down the Lane, Mr. David Miller. Well, thank you so much. My gosh, that is a gushing Intro. <laughs> Intro. Yes. I'll try to true. live up to it. Okay. Oh, I'm sure you will. So you, I got to tell everybody that I prepped you before the show and made you the perfect guest because I said, David, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love everything that you've done. So um, you said in your book, you fell in love with the big band sound at age five. Tell us about that love affair. Was there like a defining moment or did it just kind of grow over time? Well, I think it started really when I was supposed to be doing my homework. Mm-hmm. And I found uh, to my great amazement that I could do my homework and listen to the radio at the same time. Now, I don't want any kids to listen to that and say, that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. But it worked <laughs> for me. And it was a, a wonderful program. You know, I was fortunate to be brought up in northern New Jersey, which meant uh, we lived about, oh, 15 miles away from New York City. Close. That meant we had all kinds of radio stations. I mean, there was a specialty, one on Italian-American music, another one on pure jazz, and, uh, of course, a symphony one that was sponsored, I think, by the New York Times. And then... There were three different stations that I could listen to that played the music that I came to love. I remember one time in our family, we always ate 
promptly at 6 o'clock. And I was in the living room listening to the make-believe ballroom. And my mother called, David, wash up. It's dinner time. And I said, I'll be there in a minute. I just want to listen to the end of this music. And my father, who normally didn't say much about me, said, that isn't music. I was outraged. It was Count Basie's jumping at the woodside. And I wanted to hear that wild clarinet solo before I went to dinner. Well, that was, I was probably at that time eight years old at the time. And I just uh, realized that this was my kind of music. It was interesting. And then along came Sinatra and I had a new appreciation for the vocalists. And it went on from there. Now, of course, I had to lead uh, a lot. I had to make a living. And for a lot of years, my love for music was simply going to a concert now and then. If a big band came to town wherever I was living, I'd go there and I'd enjoy it thoroughly. But then I got a job with RCA. And RCA at that time was putting out a whole series of LP albums, that new long technology. Play. Long play. Yes, long play. Mm-hmm. 33s. And they were going back into their archives to the wonderful music that I listened to as a kid and converting it to LPs. Converting it from what? From, oh, the old 78s. Oh. 78 RPM records. If your dad did not like that kind of music, what kind of music did he like? My dad played piano classical Uh, piano um the only time he and i well two things he liked gershwin but he liked gershwin because of gershwin's semi-classical music mm -hmm. and he told me one day he said who's that singing and i said it's joe stafford and i said she's good she said my dad Mm -hmm. said she's good she has perfect pitch there you go so this has been going on for generations a guy was laying my carpet the other day in my house and he was listening to uh glenn campbell or somebody i don't know uh, and and i said oh i know all that old music he was, you know it's all ballads and um he said well the music the kids are listening to today is just <laughs> terrible and i thought because it just go on forever i think so <laughs> i think it does I mean, we're talking about all the way back to your dad david and yes you're no spring chicken i mean how long ago was that that was a long time ago uh-huh. did you always think you were going to have a career in music no no i had no idea in fact at rca i just thought oh this is really neat because anybody at a certain managerial level was entitled to 15 lps a month they circulated a list to all of the offices, and you checked off all the ones you want. Mm-hmm. Well, RCA uh, owned uh, NBC, the Today really? Show and all that. Yeah, they. Uh, I worked in at 30 Rock, and on the fourth floor were all of the studios for NBC New York. So, uh-huh. But what? here I get these 15 albums a month. Well, I had to get something to play them on. And that's how my interest was reawakened. 
because uh-huh. I was already in my 30s oh. by the time I started working with RCA. So we, we skipped 10 years. In yes, years. we skipped 20 years, actually. When did I was did, just, you, did just, you go to college? I went to college, did, yes. Did you I, graduate? Did you get a degree? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, well, I didn't. That's fine. If you no. <laughs> but what did you get a degree in broadcasting? No, no I, psychology. I I went to uh, Princeton, got my degree in psychology, and did you do it? Did you practice psychology? I was not a clinician. I was a social psychologist, oh. which means, in my case, studying people's attitudes. Marketing research was my. If I had to put two words together to describe my real career, it was marketing research. That's what I was doing at RCA. You listened to WNEW Make Believe Ballroom. Yeah. Did you? And you saw live performances probably in New York City. I'd take the train mm-hmm. and the subway and go to Greenwich Village and great Dixieland places there. Gosh, they had jazz clubs in the village mm-hmm. so if you didn't go to nick's you went to uh, eddie condon's place and you know they had music started i don't know when it started but i know that it played until 3 a.m how old were you could you stay out as late the, as you wanted the first time i went there i was uh, underage which in new york city was 18 huh? i was 21 in new jersey so I will tell you, on my 18th birthday, it happened to fall on Easter, uh, so obviously it was a Sunday, and my buddies said, hey, let's go over to New York City. You can have your first legal drink. (laughs) (laughs) And Sally Rand is appearing at the club. Sally Rand, you younger people, was a fan dancer. Oh. She had these big, <laughs> big white fans like this big. They covered up that certain covered things. covered up everything except Until. that as the music played, somehow the feathers dropped. So, so burlesque. So he thought that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he thought that my friends thought that might be a good thing for you to have, Dave, on your oh 18th gosh. birthday. <laughs> so we arrived at the club and we got bad news. The man at the door said, no, uh, Miss Rand is not here this evening. She is celebrating Easter. Oh, my gosh. We were crushed. Well, yeah. So was the ticket sales that night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all uh, right. This is a great place to take a break. We've only just begun. Uh, When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. David Miller, host of Swinging Down the Lane, a radio show dedicated to keeping the sound of the big band era alive and well. And he's the author of his own book, Close Encounter, an autobiography with excerpts from 80-plus interviewees. More to come after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. 
Telling American-made stories. Selling American-made flags. TheFlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Mr. David Miller, host of the radio show Swinging Down the Lane, a tribute to the big band era music. So money was slim back then when we were kids. Uh, and, you know, my mother wouldn't let me buy albums or 45s or anything. You know, you didn't buy sodas. You didn't buy albums. You didn't eat out. You made your own clothes. Did your mother let you buy albums and records? I had a, an allowance, but I worked, too, as ah. a kid at age five. I was a, a ball chaser at a tennis court. I put up a little sign that said, uh, ball chasing. I think I spelled it right at age five. <laughs> uh, if you two, didn't, you probably got tips. Two cents tips. an hour. No way. Yeah, two cents an hour. That's entrepreneurship and, right there. Uh, after a while, the guy who owned the tennis court said, you know, you're not charging enough. You think I should go to three cents? <laughs> he said, no, five cents. Well, I was really worried about it. Five cents. My, who's going to buy my services for five cents? Well, he was right. One Saturday... I earned all of 65 cents. It was the top dollar for me. And I ran all the way home. I was, was around on the other side of the block from where I lived. And I came in and I told my parents, I had a great day, 65 cents. And I started reaching in my pocket. And No, well, don't tell me. Well, it seems that I should not have been running because oh, apparently <laughs> the coins dropped out as I went along. Oh, there were some left, but my biggest payday turned out to be a somebody sort of else's a windfall. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> did you go back and trace your chips? I did not. No. What? <laughs> no, no, no. I knew, I knew the odds were very small. As far as buying records, yeah. So uh, how much was a record back well, then? Well, record was thirty-five cents. Oh, yeah, you could and you got two, two songs, yeah. you know, oh, side, side A and side B. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and those were 78s. Or were yes, those, they yeah. were 78s. Could you play a 78 on a regular stereo? No. No, you I had to, had to send my, uh, I want to say record player, but that's not the right word. Uh -huh. I want to say phonograph, but that's old Vic, It's not Victrola, is it? <laughs> yeah. That's even, that's even well, older. Well, actually, I had a Victrola. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, I had to send it away, and they actually uh, retrofitted it so that it would play 45s, LPs, and 78s. That's committed right there. Uh, so let's talk about your career. I didn't know till you came in here today and said, I've had six careers or something crazy like that. I was like, what? And you started counting them on your finger. finger. So where do you want to start to talk talking about? Well, after Princeton, I got my doctorate in... At University of Michigan. Okay. So my first job from there was with J. Walter Thompson, at the time the world's largest advertising agency, and their, their Michigan client was Ford Motor Company. So I worked doing research for Ford for about five years in Detroit. Then I got hired away by Chrysler Corporation. They had had some real problems at the very top, and they brought in new management, and they wanted a whole new look, and they decided they want, wanted a whole new 
manager of marketing research. And then, have you ever heard of the Harris Poll? I don't think You've so. heard of the Gallup Poll. But yes. You may not have heard of Lou Harris, Lewis yes. Harris. He was selling his services to Chrysler Corporation. And so I got to meet him. And he said, you know, I could use you in my organization. So I became the executive vice president of Lewis Harris and Associates in New York City. I was there for a year and a half, and he decided, I'm going to reorganize. So you're not going to be the executive vice president anymore. You're going to be a division head along with two other people. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So he said, well, if you'll read our employment agreement, I have the option of terminating you if you don't do what I'm asking you to do. So I walked out. I didn't have a job. Then I went to RCA. Okay. So I was with RCA until they decided to, uh, uh, and I don't count this as a career change, they decided to relocate our little team to Indianapolis, still with RCA. But we were creating a wonderful new invention called a, a videotape recorder. <laughs> it was an amazing thing. You wow. actually could record stuff off the air, you know, as you were watching it, you could record it. And then there's some pre-recorded tapes that you plug into the machine and it plays on your TV set. Wonderful technique. Is that the VHS or is, the be or is that it the was Betamax? VHS. Mm -hmm. It was VHS. Well, actually, or was what, it Betamax what or happened it was. there was RCA was in development of this wonderful thing, but a Japanese company, Matsushita, they s sell in the U.S. as Panasonic, oh, okay. beat us to it. <gasps> oh. And so they said to our little team, we don't need you anymore. So I found myself out on the street in Indianapolis. But you have a new love for records because oh, yeah. while you've been there, how many years now have you been yes, there? Yes, uh, well, altogether it's about six years. So while you've been there, every month you're getting 10 new records oh, or something. Uh, yeah, I guess I did get them in uh, Indy as well. So, so now yeah. you're back I into loving music again. <laughs> yeah, so okay. so, okay, so now I don't have a job. And this time it took, let's see, four months before I joined Gulf Oil Corporation in Pittsburgh in marketing research and public affairs, uh, except that I was only there for six months or less because I didn't like my boss. That happens. We're talking, talking business here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, right. I was turned off by him completely. Didn't trust him. I did not trust him. That'll do it. He would have me give instructions to the advertising agency mm -hmm. and I would do so. And then he'd call me in and he'd say, they haven't yet produced what I told them to do. It's, it was due yesterday. And I would say, uh, well, actually it wasn't due yesterday. It's due next Monday. Oh, so we were like that. Mm -hmm. So I went to the personnel department and they said, well, funny you should stop in here because we have an opening in Houston 
and uh, I got transferred to Houston. They sent me off to a wonderful golf management school yeah. for three weeks. And I was one of 25 people drawn from all through Gulf Oil Corporation to go to this course. So I went back the next, after the course was over, and my boss said, well, come on in. I went in and I started to tell him what a great thing it was and how pleased I, he said, well, wait a minute. Uh, actually, the reason I called you in here is that uh, essentially we've brought somebody over to take your job. Oh, my gosh. But you can report to him. Well, that didn't sit very well with me. So when I was approached about a job in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's how he got here. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what my first impression was. Uh-huh. I was getting out of the Army, and I was going to resume my job that I had a leave of absence from. I was on the train going from Philadelphia, where I was stationed, to New York, and I was reading the paper. It was all about Little Rock. Oh, Central, oh. High, Central High School. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I am and not I going thought, there. I thought, Little Rock, my gosh. So that was my impression of it. When I was at Chrysler, we had an assignment. Somebody had to go to Little Rock to debrief a, a customer who had been uh, pre-testing a turbine-powered automobile. I got you. That's the only thing you knew about Little Rock was that you had a test model. Well, what Chrysler. I know, what I knew about it by that time was that somebody had to go there in July to debrief him. And I thought, wait a minute, Little Rock and a hot part of the month. So I sent my lieutenant there. They also, we also had one in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, we were due to debrief that family in February. And I sent my lieutenant to there, too. <laughs> so when did you decide that you liked Little Rock? He came back and told you it was okay down there? Or well, it took, a, it took a little while. I have to be very frank about that. But the real test is, how do I feel about it now? When I retired from my own business, which, we have, which is number seven on the list it's next okay mm-hmm. yeah my wife tish and i kind of looked at each other okay if we're going to sell the company uh you know the radio show can be done any place in the country where shall we go and we agreed we're gonna go no place you're gonna retire right here we are home but how did you decide to come to little rock and what year is this that you moved 1983 came to visit and were pleasantly surprised or just desperate to get away from yeah which one pleasantly surprised or desperate to get away i don't like the desperate <laughs> word but that, that's closer than the other one okay that's the other one so you just came it was and said, an opportunity it's just an opportunity to, um, to change where you, yeah. you're yeah the man <clears throat> who was president of uh, channel seven bob doubleday decided that he wanted to start a market consulting firm. And he persuaded uh, Gene Fortson, who is here in town now, to join him. And then he said they, they need a third guy, a research guy. And I got this phone call 
while at Houston uh, saying, uh, hey, there's a great job opening. It's right down your alley. It's in Little Rock. I said, no, thanks. <laughs> so they hired somebody else. And the somebody else went to Boston, their home base, to have a kind of a farewell party. And he got overcome with, oh, I can't do this. So he told them two days before he was to start that he wasn't going to take the job. So I get another phone call saying, really, this is right down your alley. Come on. Look, it doesn't hurt to go and listen. I listened and I liked what I heard. And that's how I joined the RD Doubleday Company. And one of the things we did was uh, public opinion polls, which were reported on Channel 7. I would get with Steve Barnes on camera about once a month and for like a five-minute segment talk about the results of some survey that we were doing. Now, they had a, uh, a young governor in Arkansas at that time, and uh, uh, Gene Fortson said, yeah, I want to get you two together. You're a couple of Ivy Leaguers. You might be interested. So that's how I met Bill Clinton. He was, what, 32 at the time and running for re-election. Mm-hmm. So how did uh, Skitch Henderson change your... Oh. That account? You said that meeting the band leader, Skitch Henderson, changed your life forever. It I'm, did. How it did, did that... I mean, everything seems to be changing your life forever. Well, I know. I have... Uh, 21 life-changing experiences. Now, here's the definition that I use. Okay. There are three kinds of changes that take place. One of them is dictated by somebody else. Your parents decide where you're going to grow up as a kid. There you go. That's one. Another one is your decision, but it doesn't change your life. I think I'll have... Veal scallopini for lunch. It's not going to change my life whether I do or don't. And the third one is, I'm coming to a crossroads, and as Yogi said, I'm going to take it. So that's my definition of the 21. The fork in the road. Fork in the road, and it's a decision to make, and whichever decision I make is going to change my life forever. I remember one time Tish said to me, what do you think would have happened if you'd stayed with Chrysler? And I said, I don't know, and I don't care. Yeah, no looking back. Because there's no way of knowing. All I know is that my life would have been different, and her life as well, and so on. All right. All right, so how did Skitch Kinderson right, change Skitch. your life? Okay, Skitch had a weekly program, uh, which was broadcast nationally. And he's a band leader, right? Yes. Uh, he also, he led the band on The Tonight Show on TV for a while. And his producer called, and he said, Skitch is going to have Helen Forrest as his guest for next week's program. And they're going to be talking about the recording that she did with Benny Goodman, The Man I Love. He said, for some reason, we can't find that record. I understand that you have a rather large record collection. Would you happen to have that? 
And I said, well, just a minute, let me just check. I think I do. And in those days, in 1983, I didn't have it on computer. I had it all handwritten, and I came back to the phone. I said, yeah, I've got three copies of it. It was old 78s down there in the basement, three of them. He said, great, would you pick out the best of the three, put it on tape, send it to us, we need it for next week's broadcast. Okay, I did that. The next Saturday morning, Skitch himself came on. He said, well, Helen, you know, you had a real success with that recording you made with Benny Goodman, the man I love. Well, so let's listen to it. And the music starts. I reach over like this, grab a pen, and I start writing. Tish looks over at me, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a news release. A news release, what about? About the fact that local man's record is being played on national radio. Well, she gave me one of those wifely looks, like. <laughs> he, he, just, he, he just rolled his eyes, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's an entrepreneur right there, aren't right, you? She said, who's, who's going to care? I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to send this into the paper. Maybe they'll print it. Maybe they need a little paragraph someplace. So I said, but before I uh, send it to the paper, I better check with the station. So I went over to North Little Rock to what is now, what was called the Twin City Bank Building. Went up to the top and there was a studio, not as plush, of course, as where we are here. Yeah. But studio, and I talked with the studio manager. I showed him the article and he kind of glanced at it and pushed it away and he said, have you ever been on radio? And I said, no. Would you be interested in doing a program? And I thought that was a kind of a neat idea. Yeah. That's how it started in 1983. And who came up with the name? Swinging down the lane. Well, there's a little story there. It used to be a sentimental journey with David Miller. Oh, I like that. Oh, Isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah I used, copyright problems. I used that. Yes. Oh. I used that for... Uh, four or five years and then uh, I got a call from a lawyer mm -hmm. in Florida it seems that someone had been traveling through Arkansas and happened to catch the program and the title and decided that wait a minute he's using the name that we already have oh so I said oh okay well I'll change it. I said uh, you know, I've got things in production now. I'll change it in but probably sweet. two or three weeks. He said, I remember exactly what he said. There were three words that stuck out in my mind. Cease, desist, now. And I remembered this 1921, 19, no, 1922 song, mm -hmm. Swinging Down the Lane. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's what we're going to use. And it's too old to be copyrighted back then. There wasn't hardly anybody copywriting anything back in those days. Back in 1983, mm -hmm. this was a nostalgia program. And my audience were the same age as me. Mm -hmm. And this was our music that I was bringing back to life. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. But as the years have gone by, it's not nostalgia. I'm a music educator now. I'm telling people about things that they did not experience and musicians that they may never have heard of, but which were great in their day. So swinging down the lane gives me that flexibility to hop through different decades. You're absolutely a teacher. I am. Absolutely a teacher today. Uh, When you listen to your radio station, it is just a wealth of information. What time's your show? It's Friday night, 9 o'clock. Let's let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. David Miller, host of Swinging Down the Lane, a radio show Mm -hmm. playing music from David's very own collection of over 9,000 songs from the big band era. And Mr. Miller is the author of his book, Close Encounters, an autobiography with excerpts from 80-plus interviews. We'll be back after the break. Part of Carrie McCoy Enterprises is OurCornerMarket.com, the perfect online shopping site for everything you need to strengthen your business's image or beautify your home and landscaping. You can browse through products like custom plaques in bronze or aluminum, business signage, address plaques to dress up your home or apartment complex, memorial stones and markers, even for your beloved pets, logo mats, and countless other items. Please visit OurCornerMarket.com today and start shopping. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Mr. David Miller, host of the radio show Swinging Down the Lane, a tribute to the big band era music. You had quite a following. People came to get you, and you moved from large corporation to another large corporation you ended up at rca the record company fell back in love with music now circum circumstance has it you ended up in little rock arkansas that you thought was the end of the world now you've come to love it like everybody that comes here mm-hmm. does we've had every, i can't tell you how many guests we've had on here that said they thought little rock what am i gonna do going to little rock and then they get here and they're like Oh, it's nice here. And they spend 30 plus years here or something. And retire. (laughs) Um, So now let's talk about uh, the big band music. I mean, why is it still important to people and and for them to hear about it? I asked the question, will big bands ever come back? That is the question. And their answer, and I believe they're completely correct, is it's never gone away and it will never go away. And here's why. Well, back in the 1940s, you've seen the pictures, the black and white pictures of dancing couples and a bandstand and 14 guys in tuxedos playing music while people are, young people are dancing around. That went away. Actually, it went away in large part at the end of World War II because the GIs came back, they married, they had children. They can't go out. They don't want to go out to ballrooms to dance anymore. Yeah, they stopped dancing. And the ballrooms then disappeared. Well, you, you, you know about the Dreamland Ballroom and mm-hmm. how it had its high spot but then there came the time when, well, for example, vocal groups came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
starting, I suppose, with Elvis and then the Beatles. Now, that's one person, and then it's four people. It's not 14 people in tuxedos playing wonderful music. So that's why it seemed to be going away, although there were, and during the last 40 years of the of last century, there were bands that were playing, but they didn't get the big venues. They played for country clubs or parties for rich people. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they weren't on the radio except for Lawrence Welk. They weren't on television. Which is still on television if anybody wants to know. Yeah. My grandkids love to watch Lawrence oh, Welk. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, all right. So they weren't, big bands weren't dead, but they certainly weren't thriving. Now, what has happened now is that big bands are going into the concert halls. They're putting, never mind the dancing, they're going into concert halls. Really? The big breakthrough actually took place in 1938. Benny Goodman at Carnegie Hall. I mean, that got big coverage in the New York Times and the Herald Tribune because, wow, this swing stuff at the place where Toscanini performs. But that was, that was just the beginning. So that's what I say, that big bands are never going to go away. They are going to be an attraction to Robinson Auditorium. So your book, Close Encounters, I love the title because it talks about all the stars in your book. You've met huge stars. Tell us about some of the interviews that you write about in your book. Linda Ronstadt? Linda came to Little Rock to perform with the Arkansas Symphony several years ago. And the symphony folks asked me if I would be interested in interviewing her. And it took me a good split second before (laughs) I said yes. And I knew of Linda Ronstadt. I mean, how Mm -hmm. could you not know about her? But her music didn't mean much to me until in the early 80s, she and Nelson Riddle got together for a couple of LPs. Nelson Riddle I knew very well. He was an outstanding arranger for big bands. And then he formed his own orchestra, which was wonderful because of his arranging skills. And I listened to that album. Mm-hmm. And so I, I talked with her. Our whole conversation had nothing to do with her. her. It had to do with her relationships with Nelson Riddle. I told her that I understood that he was rather moody and hard to work with. And she said, no, I, she said, I, I worked with him very well. But that was my close encounter with her. You interviewed Frankie, Frankie Lane? Frankie Lane, yes. Isn't he a heartthrob? Wasn't he a heartthrob? He lived in San Diego, and I was in San Diego, uh, so I took the afternoon off to interview him, and we had a wonderful interview. He gave me 
he gave me an autographed CD. And I looked at it and I said, I'm not familiar with this. When did you record it? He said, 84. I said, 1984? No, he said, when I was 84. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really How wonderful. old was he when you he, interviewed him? He was uh, 90, I think. Really? 90. Wow. Still performing. Still performing. Yeah. I think it keeps you young. Uh, where did the term crooner, crooner, crooner come from? Yeah, so I looked it up. It said, a crooner is typically a male voice, I didn't know it had to be only a male voice, who sings sentimental songs in a soft, low voice of romantic jazz or pop standards. Yeah, I don't think it was used until Sinatra came along. And then it says, because I thought, well, well what are women called? And they're called chanteuses. Oh. Chanteuses, yes. Chanteuses, yes. Yeah. Who knew that? Well, that's just a French that's, word. That's that about saying that's just somebody female think. chanter, singer. singer. Yeah, oh, chanter, singer. female chanter. All right, I want to tell everybody if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mr. David Miller, host of the radio show Swinging Down the Lane, a tribute to the big band era music. He also has a book. Uh, titled Close Encounters that he's written. It's an autobiography with excerpts from 80-plus interviewees. Why should I buy this book? Who would enjoy it? I think it's uh, it's got a dual audience. One is obvious people who love the big band sound, regardless of what their age is. Uh, they can get some insight into... Uh, what it's all about. What's the background behind it? Uh, I have a lot of uh, excerpts from interviews that show from my standpoint the things that I want to know about famous people. Do you put your most embarrassing interview moment into this into this oh, book? Do you, <laughs> do you know what it is? No. I don't, I don't know which one to pick. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got them. <laughs> I'll think about that. Let's go to something else while I, <laughs> while I try to figure out which one I should All right, Nat confess. King Cole. I'm looking right here in your book at Nat King Cole. He played in the Dreamland Ballroom. Ah, yes. Uh, and so did Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington and B.B. King. And for those people that don't know me, I have the Arkansas Flag and Banner building in downtown Little Rock with the famous Dreamland Ballroom on the third floor. And every year, except for the year of COVID, we have a one fundraiser that's called Dancing into Dreamland, and we celebrate dancers. And it's kind of like Dancing with the Stars. And, and, and it's all genres. It's not just ballroom. It's, we've, we've, it's all genres. But I'm telling you, though, I'm telling the listeners this because David has judged, been a judge, and you love Dreamland, I think, because all your favorite people played on that stage. Well, I, that is certainly Part of it. The other part is an amazing renovation of the building. I mean, when my when friends come from out of state, you know, I'll pick them up at the airport and I'll say, "Well, we're going to stop off at, at Dreamland. I want you to see this." And like me, they are just amazed at how it has been preserved, not over preserved, but rather with the idea of getting back to what it was back in the days yeah. of uh, on through the 1950s maybe 
You know, they built it in the 16, they started building it in 1916, I think finished it in 18. It was really in its heyday after the war. Mm. It had some great dances and it had some great entertainers. And the only person that I cannot find that played at the Dreamland is Elvis Presley. That's the only person I I can't document. But, I mean, even Red Fox played on the stage. mm -hmm. Uh, Louis Armstrong, Uh B.B. King. I got to interview B.B. King one time. I have documentation he was there from the newspaper, but he could not remember playing there. Little lady, he said to me, little lady, I can't remember where I played. I played 265 (laughs) days a year. I was like, okay, fine, forget it. (laughs) I just kept pressuring him and pressuring him. You sure you don't remember? (laughs) Did you think of what it was that uh, was your most embarrassing moment? I was giving a presentation in Denver for some group that got together once a month to hear some out of town speaker and I had an elaborate presentation which consisted of uh, two slide projectors that were synced so that one slide would go on and then automatically as I clicked uh-huh. another slide would go on and uh, so I was into my pitch talking about the history of the big bands. And it turns out that in that particular hall, the screen was located, oh, like 10 feet above the level where I was. So the projectors are going up like this. And the slides got fouled up a little bit, and worse than that, when we finally got them going, they were out of sequence by one. Slide two, then comes slide one, then slide four, then comes slide three. And I'm, meanwhile, following a script. That was an embarrassing moment. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but they did pay me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. So, you know what? I wish we could have at the Dancing into Dreamland burlesque at the show it would be so <laughs> much full circle fun i know uh i gotta ask you because i didn't well, earlier and then this will be our last question because oh where do people buy your book i need to know that uh on the website it's swinging down the lane.com there you go go buy your go buy your book there uh and then your show again is on friday nights. friday nights k-u-a-r 89.1 on your FM dial. There you go. So when you went from being this marketing guru that everybody was seeking, marketing research guru that was being sought after by lots of large corporations, and then all of a sudden you're now doing a free radio show, when did you make the transition to decide, I'm going to quit working for corporations and become a radio show host full time, or did you ever? Well, I started my own company in 1981. What, what was it? Marketing Research Company? Mm-hmm. Miller Research Group. Oh. How did computers change it? Made it a lot easier, really. I expected you to say harder. No, easier. I had here in town uh, a, an office that included 35 stations for interviewers to sit down with phones, call people, and key in 
their responses into the computer. And then you could sort and collect. How, do you still have that business? No, I sold it in 1997 because I thought, uh, hey, I'm not going to work all my life. Yeah. And besides, I do have my radio program. So is it a full-time job now? It's the only job. Whether it's full-time or not depends on... What you call full-time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not even a job for you. You enjoy it so much. Sure. Okay, I have your gift. I should have brought... It's a desk set of flags, and I should have brought a flag from... I could have brought a flag from all the places you've lived, and it would be like this beautiful array of flags <laughs> yeah, from right. every state. But I just gave you Arkansas because that's your home now. Yes, And then indeed. I gave you New Jersey because that's where you were born. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that is something. That is classic. It's classy and classic. Uh-huh. I have loved visiting with you more than I can even tell you. Well, I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> and I'll see you at Dancing into Dreamland. I enjoy it thoroughly. We closed out the decade with the Tournament of Champions. Oh, yes. Yes, yes remember? Yes, so yes. all the champions oh, yes. came back. We had a Tournament of Champions. Oh. I think it was our best year ever. Everybody Great. there was just off the chart. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Time for us to go. In thank closing, you. thank you, dear. In closing, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You may know Carrie McCoy is the host of Up In Your Business, a great interview show with entrepreneurs and interesting people from around town every week. But if you listen to the beginning of the show, you'll learn the amazing business history of this woman who runs flagandbanner.com. That's why it's always wise to ask her what she thinks about helping businesses advertise with what they offer at flagandbanner.com. Here's Carrie. Want to create excitement for your business or event? Do it with affordable advertising from Arkansas's flagandbanner.com. We have teardrop banners, retractable banners, and table drapes. We have street pole banners, museum and exhibit banners. We have custom flags, event tents, tailgating poles, auto graphics, and window scrim. And don't forget, welcome home and sale banners. Consult the experts at ArkansasFlagandBanner.com. Go online for a free quote or drop by our historic showroom at 800 West 9th Street in Little Rock. Always take the advice of an expert. That's Carrie McCoy from FlagandBanner.com. Visit the showroom downtown or shop online. There's always coupons to save some money. FlagandBanner.com. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio show, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, Gray, G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.